Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to another edition of Cavs of Blog Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I am here with uh, Ben Worth and Evil Genius. And uh, we're coming off what? A, a, is it a five-win win streak for the Cavs right now? Is it five is it, or is it four? Is it five or four? Yeah, I think it's four. I, right? it's I think four. it's four. Yeah, yeah, it's been five games under Lou and a four-game win streak. Yeah. Right. And the last two games over... Detroit and then last night San Antonio were both really impressive wins. So uh, your thoughts watching uh, last night's game, Ben? Uh, what did you see that you liked? And what did you I, see? Was, was there anything that concerned you? Um, I mean, I guess it concerned me that we weren't playing a team. We didn't see a, a, a real Spurs lineup without Duncan. And clearly Popovich was entertaining himself with a lot of different strategy. Um but I mean, other than that, that's nitpicking. I really liked that there were two moments where Teron Liu made a point to wave his arms frantically as as Kyrie walked the ball up the floor, and he was really like push the ball forward to Kyrie, and that's that's the whole key of speeding up the pace is just speeding up Kyrie basically. Um, so I really liked I really liked watching that, and they they didn't. Uh, they didn't put Kyrie in as many pick and rolls in that game. They let him do ISO, and, and for him, it's actually a better thing to let him alone so he's not confusing big men. So I liked a lot of stuff with that action. Uh, what about you, E.G.? Well, I, I liked the uh, the continuation of the aggressive Kevin Love that we've seen the last uh, couple of nights. Uh, you know, the when Tom and I were going back and forth on the thread about about how great it was to see him just you know, catch the ball and just go up with authority or, you know, the, the, some of the plays he made inside like that, that one sequence he had where he, where he wrestled the ball away from, I think it was Ginobili. Ginobili. Yeah. And then, and then, and then later on he blocked Ginobili's shot and then he scored on the other end. I mean, he's just been, he's been a different player and I don't know if it gives credence to the fact that you know that that maybe there was some of that, like it's it's Blatt saying it's me or it's Kevin Love, uh, but it definitely feels like Kevin Love is the guy that's benefited the most from the coaching change, at least so far. Um, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I 
I understand what you're saying, Ben, about the Duncan thing, and a lot of people have chimed in about the Duncan thing on online. But I, I'll be honest with you, I, I know he's the 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 anchor of their defense, and it, and it sort of allows guys like Kawhi to you know to do his thing and you know Aldridge or whatever. But I don't know. I don't. I don't I mean the the Cavs are still coming off of a, a, a night where they played big minutes against Detroit. It's not like they had the fourth quarter off. Uh, on the road, and they came home to a Spur, Spurs team that had been waiting for them for a, a day and a half, and three days. I don't know, three days, and I don't know. I, I I don't put an asterisk by this. I don't discount this in in the same way that other people are. I, I think this was a Cavs team playing really good basketball. I think they still had some lapses. Obviously, Lou's still working on getting Kyrie to speed up speed up the pace of the game and and you know there's still some things to be worked out with the you know with with the big man rotation I think but I think both Timo and and TT played excellent and I I don't know that they would have played any any less good against you know if if Duncan would have been in there in fact the only thing I would give credence to on the Duncan front is the fact that they got Aldridge in early foul trouble so they're you know they had to go to to uh Bobin, what do you call him, Nate? What, you, what, is, what does he look like? Yeah. Dirk Kinderlumper. Uh, yeah, Dirk Kinderlumper a little earlier. But, I mean, look, Diaw is still capable. Aldridge is still a, an all is, Aldridge is an all-star. I mean, you know, right. it's not like they're going up against chopped liver here. These guys have still been able to beat pretty much everybody except for the Cavs and Golden State, uh, even without Duncan. So, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not going to discount this this win as, as a – as a well, if Duncan would have played, it would have been different. I don't think. I don't think. I think the score might have been a little different, but I don't think the outcome would have been different. I would agree with that. I, I would, to some extent. I thought the Spurs they got down early, and Popovich tried a lot of things. I've never seen him try. I've never seen the Spurs run that much zone in a game. I mean, they ran it for probably a quarter and a half in the second half, and that was odd. And the Cavs figured it out and we're really trouncing it towards the end. Um, <laughs> Patty Mills trying to go. But they had, to, they, had, they had to go to zone, though, because of the way the Cavs were shooting the ball early, I think. Right? Well, I mean, how else were they going to stop them? Well, but the the Cavs were you, – you don't really – zone doesn't really help you all that much against a jump shooting team. I mean, if you move the ball correctly, you're going to get open jump shots against the zone. It was more, I think, just to junk up the Cavs' rhythm on offense uh, because nothing else they were were doing was working. So they're just kind of throw, you know, it was like a knuckleball to try mm-hmm. and just throw off the timing of the Cavs. And they did a really good job. But then when Patty Mills had to guard LeBron and <laughs> yeah, just was... like backing him down, I was, and and that's the re- a really smart way to exploit the zone is you just put a really big guy who's a really good passer and ball handler in the middle up top and send the other guys out to the corners. And sure. It, it's, it's very difficult to, to counter that in a two, three zone. Um, now I thought, and, and then if you double team LeBron up high, then you're, it's just pick your poison. So that I guess, was, I guess that's the thing. Like there were so many aspects that were positive for the Cavs in that game that actually aren't particularly applicable to the playoffs. Right. So even though it, even though it's fun to watch, it's not stuff that they're going to see and have to really beat against a really good team when it counts. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was surprised actually that Popovich didn't start Boban Mariano, or whatever his name is. Yeah, uh, that guy. He only played ten minutes, and 
he is a beast. Like to see him like, with uh, Aldridge and let Aldridge still play at the power forward instead of having kind of a, a two-headed power forward position with Aldridge and West there. Uh, you know, I just don't know how much Popovich was experimenting versus really trying. And, you know, I'm not trying to poo-poo everything that the Cavs did because they did a lot of things really well. It's just, yeah. it's not, uh, I don't think it's particularly informative in a way that maybe we would like it to be. Um, one thing I did like immediately from from Caleb is that in the first possession, David West tried to just totally bull him. I mean, he 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 went down in the post. He beasted him. He actually got called for a technical. Uh, put West his elbow did. In his grill, yeah, because yeah. I mean, he was just going beast mode right away. And instead of kind of backing down, Love really went right at him in the next two three minutes of game action. And whether it fired Love up or whatever, uh, it was nice to see that kind of effort against a guy who's who's so strong in David West. Well, Nate, what did you what did you think? I mean, you I mean of, of the Cavs' effort, anyways. I mean, what did I you like about it? Was great. One of the things I really enjoyed was that relentlessly attacking and transition in the third quarter. I mean, LeBron and Kyrie both knew that the Spurs had no shot blockers in, and just beat a path to the basket or the line. I really enjoyed that. I wish the Cavs would do that more. And and like you said, Kevin Love playing the kind of game that we were used to seeing in Minnesota. And that was the stuff I really thought that was applicable. Kevin Love was really scoring well in isolations, uh, getting that little mid-ranger, which, you know, in the playoffs, teams are going to give him that shot. And if you can hit it, that's, you know, that's money. Uh, in addition to that, I thought uh, Delhi. it was really nice to see him have a nice shooting game again. Uh, yep. Yeah, he was good. Tristan Thompson got uh, uh, getting Lamarcus Aldridge in foul trouble early was really nice. Uh, so I I, re- I really enjoyed the game. Uh, much like Ben, though, I I take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I, the other thing I said in the recap, the Cavs needed and wanted that win much more than the Spurs did, and it was much more important for the Cavs' psyche to get that win. Uh, the Spurs. That, that's fair. That's the, fair. The Spurs and. and that's what you have to play. You have to play with that sense of desperation. And and if you can't muster that when you absolutely need that win, well, there then there is a problem with your team. So, you know, the Cavs did what they were supposed to do, absolutely. Uh, in addition to that, there was only a few things I hated. Uh, and I wrote about it. Richard Jefferson at the four was an abject disaster. I don't know if you saw much of that, Ben. Yeah, it wasn't ideal. I mean... I'm kind of torn on it because I know that they're. I feel like Lou is trying to experiment with lineups that As substitute. Well, yeah. yeah, he's trying to substitute Richard Jefferson in situations where LeBron needs a blow, but in that four position and right. not necessarily and, just in the three. And kind um, of taking the J, uh, the James Jones role from last yeah. season to the beginning of this season. Yeah, and I, you know, a lot of people were were hoping that Jefferson would get more minutes over Jones. I mean, it's it is kind of silly. Uh, side note, I love that James Jones is still listed as a shooting guard on ESPN. <laughs> um, it's, it's very cute. But, you know, it's one of those things that occasionally, even if a post-up possession is successful on a mismatch and they go to it three or four times, uh, dictate the pace and overall feel of the game to a negative 
for a team that doesn't necessarily want to post up as much. The Spurs do post more than people realize this season uh, with Aldridge's addition and Kyrie or uh, Kawhi Leonard's improved post play. They really do post up quite a bit uh, more than the average team. I think Van Gundy was mentioning that a little bit in the broadcast too. Uh, but when they start trying to post anybody that Jefferson is on, it does kind of bog down the offense, even if it is occasionally successful. Yeah, and and because basically you're getting them to settle for long, longer twos. Uh, and plus, the Spurs guards bread and butter for years and years and years has been pick and roll, and we hardly saw any of that last night uh, for the Spurs. And and I'm a little, and part of that was a foul trouble to Aldridge, but I'm a little curious why the Spurs don't run more pick and roll with uh, Kawhi Leonard as a screener. Yeah. I, I, I would think that would be a devastating play to try to defend with his ability to pop and his ability to roll. Um, but Against Kawhi another probably, team, though. Huh? Against Kawhi. a different team, sure. But against the say, LeBron, it doesn't really work because if no. you get the switch, you're not really helped by it. Right, that's true. Well, not only that, but you, you had LeBron. I mean, LeBron was fully engaged last night, too. Yeah. That takes a lot of energy for Kawhi to defend or try to defend LeBron because a lot of times they just put him on an island with LeBron. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, th- I think you got a lot less a lot less energy on the offensive end. You know, right. I mean, I think you mentioned, Nate, he had the quietest 21 points you'll ever see. Yeah. Mainly, well, and, mainly and every, because it was oh, – sorry, go ahead. Oh, and every spur kind of had a quiet night. In that respect, I mean, yeah, they they, just, they had guys that looked like they were about to get going, and then they just, you know, and again, I I wasn't, I have to go back and look at it again if it was more of the Cavs starting to shut it down or you know them just going away from it, but you know, because you had, I think Aldridge got hot for a bit, and then Tony Parker started to get hot for a little bit, but you know, not Kyle for Anderson. anything sustainable. Yeah, Kyle Anderson. Yeah, and, got, and I actually think a lot of it is what Ben is talking about that it's hard to find a consistent rhythm with that kind of offense when you have players that aren't used to playing it all the time. You know, this isn't the Elijah Wan Spurs. Um, but, yeah, no. It, well, no, I mean, that, that team was built to play that way. You know, and they would surround Elijah Wan with four shooters, and and they were all great catch-and-shoot guys. And the Spurs are good catch-and-shoot players, but Tony Parker is not a catch-and-shoot, feed the posts, and then – shoot the open three-pointer point guard. That's just well, and weirdly, game. And weirdly, Danny Green, who is a catch-and-shoot guy, was took a couple of running on the yeah. break three-pointers that yeah. made no sense to me at all. I was like, I, I like, you could tell, like, I'm like, that's, that's not going in from, a, you yeah. know, when it came out of his hand. So. Well, yeah. I can't remember who was talking about it. Maybe it was one of Zach Lowe's podcasts or something, but somebody was mentioning how Green was having trouble getting his rhythm this year because they were going so much more ISO uh, in the post. And instead of having those those ball swings to an open, you know, catch and shoot rhythm shooter like Green is, he was he was kind of in different places than he had been. Uh, you know how accurate that is. I'm not sure. I do remember Green taking some very amazingly strange pull up threes, even in times where he was hitting them, and being like, "Wow, I can't believe he has the green light to do that." Um, but the one the one especially uh, in the Spurs game, this last one, I mean, that was so off balance that was not a comfortable shot. Yeah, no, they had they had a lot of those. And that's the one shot I wish that Kevin Love had in his repertoire, that trailing, running at full speed, uh, get the ball at the three-point line and shoot, 
he just doesn't seem to be able to stop well enough and uh, get a, a high enough arc to be able to shoot that shot consistency consistently. Uh, but that's it, the one his shot. His, his three his three shot is a little flatter than mm-hmm. most guys. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's he's no he's no Carl Carl uh, or what is his name uh, uh, Crawford for the Clippers. Jamal Crawford, yeah, yeah. Jamal uh, Crawford. Definitely the, the speaking of his arc though over the last three games when his scoring is picked up Love's arc is so much higher. Oh than my gosh, that bank been. shot! It's a different had. shot. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of times if you go glass to start, it helps your arc for the rest of the game. Right. And yeah, I mean a that's point. that's a really it helps you it just puts you more into a, an arc based trajectory. Yeah. And he was he was shooting the lights out in the first half. I mean, I, yeah. That, that it was it was awesome to see and and all all three of the Cavs, uh, big three or may, I think one of the goals of this podcast is to come up with a <laughs> uh, a nickname for them. But uh, no, they they all played really well. And and Ben, if you want to talk a little bit more about uh, what you saw out of Kyrie Irving and what you think the Cavs should continue to do with him going forward, I'd I'd like to hear it. Yeah, I think in the last couple of days or uh, games. There's been an emphasis to take the pick away from from Irving more than a lot of other point guards. Instead of pounding, you know, our heads against the wall, trying, hoping that he's going to run the pick pick and roll like Della Vadova, just realizing that bringing another defender over to him, if his not if he's not going to use the pick very effectively and have it be downhill, either he him going you know to the rim or the big man or both of them ideally. If he's not actually going to use that and he's always going to snake the pick and roll and cut off his big man, it's better just not to bring an extra defender over. He's he's so incredibly talented with his dribble that there are very few defenders who really can affect his one-on-one game. And the Cavs shooting is is good enough spacing that if they're moving off ball and finding space, you know, not obviously to abandon the pick and roll with him completely, but Using the pick and roll far less frequently with him, I think, is a, a beneficial uh, development that I've seen over the last few games. And playing him uh, with Della Vadova also kind of unlocks that. Sometimes running a Della Vadova side pick and roll with Tristan or with uh, LeBron has freed a weak side catch from Kyrie to then go one-on-one, which is what everyone's talked about since the big three or whatever was put together. Um, but we've actually seen that more where he's attacking slightly more quickly now the biggest issue that i still have with him is that he is the anti anton antoine jameson in that he always catches and hangs out forever but he he very rarely catches the ball and in one motion catches the ball and goes into his motion toward the hoop and i think that's part of the reason why jameson was able to last as long as he did when he couldn't move or run or do anything anymore in his old age is that he had that weird as I'm catching the ball coming around the screen, I'm already going toward the hoop with my movement. And if Kyrie were to incorporate a little bit of that, which is also one of Tony Parker's calling cards, he could get that that running start and not let the defense set before that, you know, when that weak side defense isn't quite there yet after the ball swing. So I'd like I think to see uh, that. Jamal Crawford has a little bit of that too in his game, and, and it speaks to, you know, being able to do that in a, at, at an older age. Yeah. Uh, the other point that I was going to make that you just made me think of is one of the reasons I think that one of the best screening partners for uh, Kyrie is Kevin Love, because instead of worrying about who has to roll, Kevin Love can just pick and pop or, you know, 
fade to the fade to the corner, fade to the wing, and it opens up that whole middle of the floor for Kyrie, but he still has an outlet and doesn't have to worry about Love getting in his way, or yeah. or vice versa. And and I think it's a little easier to define for the big man in that role, and that's part of the reason he doesn't work that well with Tristan. Because uh, Tristan, you know, it's obvious he doesn't know where he's going. But the the other thing that just boggles my mind is is he and uh, Moskov have such great chemistry. I mean, Moskov just seems to know a lot of times, even when he's not a part as a screener, just knows when to cut when yeah. you know that that fake pass into the into the alley oop was was fantastic last night. One of my favorite plays of the game. Yeah, that was cool. So yeah, and definitely, I, Mo, definitely, Mozgov has benefited from having Kyrie back in there. Yeah, and I didn't know if I saw Kyrie's defense was okay last night. I didn't think it was great. I think a lot of it was Tony Parker didn't play a lot of minutes, and <laughs> Patty Mills was just tired from guarding LeBron. <laughs> but uh, I, I really like Kyrie's defense in the Detroit game. I thought it was the best he defended all season. You know, really engaged, really much more aware of where picks are coming from and jumping them and trying to take good angles to attack the ball handler. Uh, did you watch a Detroit game, Ben? Yeah. I mean, I think he's basically, he's playing more off guard than he is playing on ball. As we see more lineups with Delhi. Uh, I mean, I think whether it's Lou or the just changing something that he always wanted to do, which I don't understand, side note, in terms of why would we see anything different from the defense if Lou was already the defensive coordinator post-Blatt firing? It just doesn't, that always blows my mind that people think that the defense is going to change at all. But okay, side note, ended. Um, I think that his his tendency to still circle when he's trying to catch up back into the play instead of going directly toward the role man or back to his old his initial man he just it's not good enough it's still just not good enough so even though it's better his standard was so horrific since he came back from injury that you know until until i see a few games of him actually reclaiming his man with impetus or you know really chucking the role man with low position, like coming up with an occasional steal after a secondary pass is, is not good enough. So better, but still pretty awful. Yeah. And a lot of it, uh, I one of the plays I saw in the Spurs game was just, you know, reaching from behind, getting a deflection, which is more, I mean, I appreciate the hustle, but it's poor technique and it's more luck than skill. Yeah. Uh, and you know, cause more often than not, you're just going to get called for a foul there. Yeah, but uh, as far as the Detroit game went, I see what you're saying. I I wonder if long term he has the ability to overcome his you know really poor defensive instincts and, and get better at that, or if this is just peak Kyrie that we're gonna see. Uh, you know, he is only 23. Uh, Steph Curry got a lot better on defense as as he progresses a player. You know, he's about four years older. It, well, Steph's Steph's gotten better just in the last two years. Yeah. So, EG, do you think do you think Kyrie can improve, or do you think it's you know, a absolutely? Loss I I don't think it's a lost cause at all. I think look, defense defense is something you learn from repetition, from doing it over and over again. I think 
I think offensive talent is a lot is a lot more sort of inborn. You either have you know either have the ability to to handle a ball like that or shoot a ball or whatever. I, I think I think that's something that that you know inherently you 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 have more as a as a skill. I think defense. You know, a lot of defense is scheme. A lot of defense is you know knowing how to knowing through repetition how to how to play certain guys and then the the other half of its effort and just coming and and making a uh you know a determination that you're gonna play great defense and he looked determined against reggie jackson and i I know that you know he still had some some lapses or gaps here and there but he it was the first time he looked like i mean I, i remember being so surprised when he played game one of the finals and played such a great defensive game against Steph Curry. Um, and that was, you know, that, that was a, a Kyrie. I didn't think he could get to that level of defense. And then once you see a guy get to that level of defense, especially on the biggest stage like that, then I, I believe that absolutely. It's just a question of, a question of, of technique and effort and, and commitment to, to making yourself good enough to to be to be on the floor in in crunch time and i think he's gonna have to do that i think i think lou's gonna demand that of him coming up coming forward this year and i think you know to some degree it's right that that the defense shouldn't change because lou is the one you know manning the defense anyways but again when there's it's not it's not like there's one voice and i think now that that his voice is is the voice of the of the team uh and it feels like everybody I mean, we can. We should probably talk about this as a, as I mean, I know we will coming up in the podcast, but it just feels like these guys, and it feels like they're they're have a different effort level, and that's you know maybe a you know more of a more of a I don't want to say indictment's the wrong word, but it's it's more on them for how they've chosen to respond to uh, Teron Lou's leadership versus david blatt's leadership but yeah certainly it's not anything different you know defensively scheme wise but certainly it would be more of a of an exhortation of of effort from lou to Kyrie to be able to play this kind of defense and i I do i I think he can i think he can at the very least be uh, you know an average to above average defender on the on a championship team well one thing i'll note is that part of the problem with that the Cavs have had has been playing the pick and roll and they're just ridiculously haphazard and lazy switching. And that has been cleaned up a little against with Lou, but I will say the Cavs have not played a fantastic pick and roll offense team yet to really see that put to the test. Uh, You know, and the Spurs are that team, but that's not the team we saw last night. Uh, to be to be fair, the Detroit pick and roll is pretty devastating if you play it stupidly. That's true. Um, and so at least they were smart enough. And that's also why I don't give Kyrie so much credit for that game. Is that you know when you're guarding Reggie Jackson and you know you're you are required to go underneath every pick. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not really the same kind of effort level that's necessary. You know, again. I agree with the game one of the finals last year, and I, I also think that Kyrie can be a serviceable defender in the league, uh, which is actually an improvement of what I thought going into last season. I thought he was a lost cause. Um, but his his ability to go under a pick against a guy who just cannot shoot at all in Reggie Jackson is not hugely exciting. 
Um, but, you know, that's the game plan. So if he does the game plan well, then I'm not going to be mad at him for, for executing the game plan. Yeah, I really uh, the Cavs are, in a way, a really poor <laughs> matchup for Detroit. Because uh, no. they, they kind of do all the things that, well, that Detroit, that, that kind of sink Detroit. Now, one of the things I'll say about Kyrie's defense is that, and, and I've said this for a couple days now, I almost feel like the pace discussion was a Trojan horse of we need to run around more and get more athletic and more conditioned in every aspect of the game, not just, you know, getting into our offense quickly. And I kind of felt like Lou, Lou did, and I don't know if it was purposeful or not. I think it was, you know, we're going to play faster. I need these guys to get in better shape to play faster. And it really wasn't to quote unquote play faster. It was to play better offense in the half court and full court, you know, and better defense because you make better decisions and you execute better when you're in better shape and you run around. So yeah. I, I really thought that was in a way kind of brilliant uh, because, and we talked about this before the podcast, in some ways this pace thing is is a myth of, of the, that the Cavs are playing better pace than they were under Lou. They, they actually technically played a faster pace under under David Blatt than they are playing now. But they look better doing it now. Their efficiency has gone way up. Ben? Well, I think... Oh, sorry. Uh, if you want to I, I, jump I, in I was there, chime in. I was going to chime in one, with one quick thing, which is it reminds me of the whole conversation, say, like in the NFL, the difference between fast and quick, right? I mean, some 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 receivers get open because they're fast and they can they, they're for the vertically they have vertical speed others get open because they they're quick because they can get off the ball they can they move a lot around a lot in the in the space they're not necessarily burners but they're they're guys that can that can get open i think that to to your point i think that that's what we're talking about here it's that you know it 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 means that they may not be scoring at a faster clip but they are moving around quite a bit more they're moving bodies on offense and on defense which they didn't seem to be doing prior to this where you just see the you know it was they might get you know they, they might get the ball up but they but they're it's four guys running around while or four guys standing around while one guy bounces the ball yeah i haven't had a chance to talk of about blatt's firing basically <laughs> since <laughs> since it happened um in terms of all this pace thing blatt wanted a fast pace from the from go Last year, before the season, he talked about pace. Before the season, he talked about pace. For whatever reason, for all of the reasons speculated why Blatt was fired and the pragmatic decision to get rid of a guy who is a great coach, and but he was never going to be a great coach of LeBron for whatever reason from LeBron's side that was. Uh, LeBron has taken it upon himself to move the ball. And... Lou has enough sway to Kyrie that he can wave his arms at Kyrie to say, stop walking the ball up, move it up. Those two things are enough to give a team like the Cavaliers, with those two guys being the primary focus, uh, whatever energy that they were, they were lacking, for whatever reason they lacked it before. Uh, LeBron, especially in the Detroit game, was amazing in how quickly he moved the ball. He would catch it and swing it immediately. 
And because he's LeBron James, even if he's swinging the ball like, you know, I could swing the ball in the game, the defense is already rotating to him and paying a lot of attention to him the second that it even looks like he's going to get the ball. And if he swings it quickly enough, just that half uh, second of being out of balance opens up everything on the weak side. And he did that time and time again. And it was what I've always looked for him to do as a decoy uh, in the times where he is not the primary action. Instead of standing near the mid-court line waiting to make some cut, actually be involved in the offense but move the ball even if you're not the primary action of the offense. And if Kyrie, when he gets the ball after a rebound or after a made basket, doesn't do his walk-up thing that takes forever, that always takes at least four or uh, six seconds off the shot clock before he's even past half court, if he just picks it up to the pace where Mo Williams does or Delhi to get the ball over with 21 seconds on the clock, those two things in themselves, for whatever reason they happen from Lou or LeBron or Kyrie, I don't care, that makes the pace better and the offense incredibly more efficient. Yeah, so a uh, couple couple quick stats here. The pace under uh, David Blatt was this season was 95.05, and uh, the pace under Lou was 93.2. I think that's possessions per game. Um, and then the uh, – but the efficiency under Lou was 115, where it was only 106 with Blatt. So that's – it, it's definitely, you know, that's nine points more for 100 possessions, which is quite a bit. The uh, sorry, my my wife walked in and she was she's getting the kids uh, stuff ready for school tomorrow. <laughs> she's like, we're doing the pantomime of where stuff is. We're playing charades. <laughs> I like it. Well, while you pantomime, I'll bring up too that what was interesting in that. Uh, uh, the Spurs game is the Spurs didn't turn the ball over much at all. They only turned the ball over six times and the Cavs are still able to get 14 fast break points out of it. So they were able to get break points without necessarily high turnover uh, creation. So it's one thing they get a bunch of steals that leads to, to the run out, but just actually moving your bodies off of every rebound and stuff is, is an important change. Well, on the flip side, on the flip side too, they, even though they've they've picked up their their well, I don't want to say pace because clearly their their pace is is a little bit slower, maybe. But they've they haven't turned the ball over much themselves either. They seem to be taking care of the ball despite you know moving bodies and moving the ball a lot too. I think they I think the Cavs only had seven turnovers last night, right? Uh, nine, but yeah, oh, nine. still okay. a great they number. Only, yeah, they only had two in the first half though. Yeah. That's true. I think Moskov had like three in a row in the fourth quarter what? after the game was was decided already. Uh, he's only credited for one, so we'll leave we'll leave Timmy. I'm trying to I'm trying to always save Mozzie from for many. I'm, I'm I've always been in Mozzie's corner here. Got to got to support. Oh, him. I, I, I'm in I'm in his corner too. I just like I said, I remember seeing him fumble it a couple of times. Maybe they didn't give him the a turnover, but uh, boy, he's been better. He's been better with the with the hands lately. He was yeah. much better in the first. In his stint in the first half last night too, I mean that yeah, catch, okay. that catch from was it from Kyrie the 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 one that just sort of like yeah, was was kind of like a reverse lay in was yeah. uh, was pretty spectacular. So uh, I no no I I am I'm also a fan of Moz. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I understand. Okay. Speaking of funky numbers, though, I, does anybody feel as though Della Vadova has not been credited with nearly as enough assists in the last few games? I. I 
it's hard for me to pay attention to that. Uh, one of the things that he's so great at, and I was just going to say this, he's not a fantastic fast break point guard uh, in terms of, you know, a guy who runs down, pauses at the lane and can either take it to the hole or pull up or hit the guys running the lanes. But he does do a fantastic job of getting the team into its offense quickly. Yeah. And if he's got guys ahead of him, he, he spots them and gets them the ball. He also does one of my favorite plays that I wish more NBA players did. If, if he's got a guy on the wing or the corner, he goes and he will dribble into that guy's man and then set that player up for an open three by, by basically taking out two guys with his own dribble and his backside. And yep. I really enjoy that play. I, I don't understand why more point guards in the NBA don't do that. Like that's such an easy look for a good three point shooter, especially in transition. And then if they, if they jump you with that, it's so easy to, you know, for the, for the guy in the three line to go back door then. It's just um, smart yeah. basketball. He, he yeah. plays smart on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I mean, he's still the only, he's still the only guy that'll, that'll go out and take the half court, you know, uh, foul, intentional foul to, to stop the break. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we've talked about, and he's gotten much smarter about that. He used to do it early in his career, real uh, kind of willy-nilly, and at, at times it was not a smart decision. Like, I, he got caught doing it in the bonus a couple times, which is always not very bright at all. But uh, he's, he's gotten much more judicious doing that, and he always seems to know, you know, what the situation is. I rarely – I don't think I've ever seen him get called for a clear path foul in that situation, which, you know, you have to mm-hmm. be fairly heady to do that. No, I mean he's he's one of my all-time favorite players and he 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 is the perfect backup point guard for this team because you can play him with anyone on that team. Uh you know, you play him with Shumpert and you've got that defensive terror backcourt. You play him with uh uh LeBron and J.R. Smith and you know, he's got a LeBron then has two catch and shoot outlets. You play him with Kyrie and he can kind of take over the point guard duties. Uh, the fact that he's such a good pick and roll point guard and his passing is so good that it actually opens up that floater for him combined with the fact that he's shooting almost 50% on catch and shoot threes, uh, really makes him just a fantastic compliment for the Cavs. I, I was yeah. really happy to see him have a nice, uh, offensive game and, and he's, you know, we, we've talked a lot about uh, Anton Jameson and, and Delhi's kind of bringing back the runner. So, yeah, <laughs> the, the well, Anton he's got, Jameson runner. And he's got yeah. size, too, which is which yeah. is something that I I always I always kind of forget about. And then I and then when I see him actually defending big men in the post, I'm like, wait a minute. He he actually isn't. He's actually like a good. He's six four. You know, I mean, maybe a little he bit. Is, and he's know. a solid six four. He's yeah, a big I mean, he's dude. A, yeah, good, he's not he's a good size yeah, I stood next to him on on the floor during the finals, and he is ripped and huge. I yes. mean, the it's a it's not quite to the Derek Fisher level with the arms. I remember the first time I, I stood next to <laughs> yes. Derek Fisher, and that was just like astounding. Um, but yeah. Delhi Delhi has an, a lower body and a and a trunk that is just really thick and strong. Yeah, There's a reason why he can go. No. And you know, I've, I've, you know, shout out to Coles. I've had a running every time that Coles brings up Delhi being out of shape. I call, I call BS. I mean, he's he was four point five percent body fat coming out in the draft. When I was when I saw him in the in the finals, he you could see every muscle fiber on the guy. He's just got a chubby face. 
That's what it is. He's got a chubby face. He's one of those guys. Well, and a little bit like that, like Frank Gore. When you have that low of a body fat, it actually ups your capacity for getting dehydrated. Yeah. Your body has no place to store the extra fluids. I mean, you, you can't store the fluids in your fat cells like you would. If, you know, you you can't retain water <laughs> like you would if you were overweight if you have a higher fat content so it's it actually speaks more to the dehydration speaks more to how in shape he was rather than less i think it's just i think it's gleeful trolling did i get that right the biological comment. analysis yeah um, physiological i'm gonna analysis. I'm gonna plead pure ignorance. Oh, maybe he was. maybe he just ate too much uh, KFC. Well, I figured you <laughs> a, l- a little too much uh, Nashville hot chicken. Yeah, I uh, I don't know, Nate. I, I gotta say, man, I don't. I think I would call BS if I were if we were at the bar and you were talking about it. I'd be like, yeah, I don't think that's true at all. But uh, maybe maybe it is, man. I don't know. I, 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 maybe it is. I don't know. I. I thought it was true, and then I'm like, "Well, I should qualify with that." With yeah, I'm not. yeah, I'll, I'll employ my uh, I, my, my I'm an phrase, IT my specialist. So. Nice, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm an opera singer, so you know. But the, uh, well, speaking of speaking of Delhi, I actually think that Delhi should be the second Cavalier to attend the All Star Weekend because I do I like think it. I think he should be if he's at, if he's close to fifty percent from three. Why? Why isn't he absolutely a candidate for the three-point shootout? The only my only argument with that is there are so many guys shooting a fantastic percentage from three in the NBA this year. But he's like number, isn't he in the top five or top three? Well, well, well give me a second. Uh, I look this up. Yeah, we can look that up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and the other thing is he, he, it's all catch and shoot. It's it's not off the dribble. He might have to move around too much in the three in the three point. Shoot. But isn't that the three the three point contest? It's, it's just catch and shoot. Well, it's it's grab and shoot. It's yeah. right. Well, there's I mean, a difference. <laughs> but he uses he uses his legs so much that I think he would be awful. Yeah, yeah. You get tired, or may, you know, he would get tired because he's fat. So that's probably there's just no <laughs> JR, way. To, well, JR, that, and either him or Jr. One of the two should be in the. I, I would contest. love to see Jr. in the three point contest. I think he is the most conscious conscience less shooter I may have ever seen. He he really enjoys the hard shots more than the easy shots. Like he makes these ridiculous <laughs> falling out of bounds threes from the, the ones to yeah, the right baseline. He's done right a lot corner, of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had I love when at he... the end of uh, the first quarter last night and it was a two, but it yeah. was like that's what he does. And he just turns to the crowd and just gets <laughs> given high fives and everything, which is terrific. Yeah, He'd be and... the first three-point guy to, to do all turnaround fadeaway threes in the three-point contest. <laughs> yeah, and, and we've talked about a little bit in the last few podcasts that his ability to get buckets when the Cavs really need one has been he's actually been one of the most remarkably consistent Cavs over the last month uh, of, yeah. you know, just being able to chip in, get 10 points, get 15 points, uh, hit some big threes, uh, his defense hasn't been fantastic, but it isn't helped that he has the worst reputation in the league with the officials. I've never seen a guy get fewer calls than him. If, if he could get away with put, what Iguodala gets away with, he oh would be Lord. a defensive player of the year candidate. Or or even think, what Iman Shumpert gets away with. Yeah. I think I put on the uh I put on the thread the other night, I think it was in the it was in the Detroit game. 
Um, it was it was the, the J.R. Smith running through a pick is kind of like a kickoff in the NFL. You know, you just know there's going to be a penalty. Like it's just just a given. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter if it was clean or not. It's just it's they're going to blow the whistle. J.R.'s yeah. nickname sh- nickname should just be defensive holding. <laughs> exactly. Block in the back. <laughs> Block in the back. There you go. Uh, and what was the game he got kicked out of? Was it the there was the oh, was it game. Golden State? It was a Golden State. The worst, game, yeah. the worst flagrant two I've ever seen. It wasn't even a flagrant one. No, they called a flag. It wasn't. A, it was yes. It was a boring foul. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just good Common god. Foul. Yeah. yeah, it it was insane. And I've seen about five fouls since that were. Ten times worse against the Cavs that were common fouls, and, and I still have not heard an explanation of that call. So, yep. so I think it was getting testy, and they wanted to defuse it, and they felt that was probably the best way to get the game under control, probably for the the refs. But it, I was really surprised they didn't rescind it. I really thought yep. they would have rescinded yeah. it the next day. Yes, absolutely. So we were talking a little bit about uh, three-point percentage. Uh, take a yep. guess, both of you, who is leading the NBA in three-point percentage? Well, I know this Leonard is still, right? Unless he's Kawhi at Leonard, a cold yeah. space. Yeah. Which is unbelievable. Insane. Yeah. yeah. And then, well, he doesn't take a lot of them, but, he t- but the ones he does take, he seems to make. Uh, he attempts four per game. That That's not a small number. Yeah, but compared to JR, who's, who takes, what, eight a game? Um, yeah, I, I gotta look that up, but you know, number one, Kawhi Leonard shooting 49%, JJ Reddick, number two, 48%, Jared Dudley, 46%, Curry, 46%, God, with 11 attempts per game. <laughs> yeah, he just, he's Kelly Olenek, yeah. 44%, uh, the much maligned in Cleveland, Omri Caspi, shooting 44%, and then, our own Matthew Delavadova at uh, at just under forty four percent. So, so is he seventh, eighth? He is. He's seventh. You know, okay. shooting shooting forty four, and then rounding it out top ten: George Hill, Doug McDermott, and Clay Thompson. I, I, he probably, but the, his problem is he has the lowest, uh, well, the second lowest number of attempts per game, um, mm. whereas. You know, after McDermott, whereas, you know, Steph Curry obviously going to be in the three-point contest. You got to think J.J. Reddick's going to get in there. Um, and then the rest of – and then you got to think who, uh, Kyle Korver is going to be a lock for shooting in the maybe, three-point contest. Who won Ryan last Anderson? Year? Who won uh, last Because they'll take whoever won last year. Too. Oh, I think it was Curry won last year. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about, I mean, also a guy like Anthony Morrow. I don't know how many he's attempting, but he's always always a great three-point shooter. Ryan Anderson. He's a good uh, one for that contest, too, because he doesn't jump. Yeah. <laughs> and it might be crazy and put, like, Draymond Green in it or something. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Morrow, you know, 42% shooter, really good. Part of his problem is he's really, he's only gets about 14, 15 minutes a game. In Oklahoma City. Yeah. Um, and it's also, so along with that, uh, you know, we're talking a little bit about the All-Star game. Do you feel like Kevin Love was a snub, uh, evil genius? Do you feel like he should uh, be going over? I, I guess the guy who would go I, over would be Paul Millsap. Yeah, I, I got to say, I'm going to have to say no, based on what 
on his performance so far this year. Um, you know, I, I was looking at I was looking at the numbers the other day, and you've got yeah, you've got the the three guys that, that went ahead of him that, that were reserves, the guys that weren't voted in, like you know, like Bosch or not not Bosch, um, the the front court guys that were voted in, anyways. Obviously, you're not. He didn't get the votes, but but Bosch is definitely having a better year than than Love is. I think Bosch is arguably the best player on his team, even though you know Wade's Wade's been up and down. He's been a lot better lately, but he had a kind of a rough rough uh, late November, early December, and then uh, Drummond, obviously, you know, as a front court player. Now that they split up into back court and front court, I, I you know I don't see how you don't take Drummond. He's you know the the guys a the guy's a twenty, a twenty ten or almost twenty twenty guy at this point per night, and then uh, and then Millsap was the only other front court player taken. Well, here's the one I I could take him. I could take him over uh, Al Horford. Oh no, this is twenty fifteen. I'm sorry. Yeah, Horford did. Yeah, Horford didn't get chosen either. Well, how how did Isaiah Thomas make it? Because I would take him over Isaiah Thomas. That's the only the only one that I know that the backcourt frontcourt thing. But I mean, he's he's not even the best guy on his team. I think Crowder is a better choice than, than Thomas, but well, I, did, but it's also the all-star thing though. I mean, it, it's also that, you know, Isaiah Thomas getting 21.5 points, 6.7 assists at, at 5.9. I mean, he is, he's a star. He's a guy that as a little guy, fans come out to watch him play. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I would think that Isaiah Thomas in an all-star game, much more exciting than Kevin Love. But also, Isaiah Thomas, not a great shooter. Kevin Love's shooting better. Um, I mean, what are we going by? Are we going by entertainment value in the game or whether these guys are actually should be recognized as all-stars for how they play? I mean, well, if they're recognized that, as all-stars... That is always the... Uh, yeah. That's always the rub. Yeah, and especially Look, for, I, you know, the starters are, are already called and voted, but, like, I feel like the reserves have to be people who actually play both ends of the floor. Like, I'm not in any way unhappy that Damian Lillard did not make that game. He shouldn't have made the game. He's not a good player. He's a great offensive player. The end. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Yeah. <laughs> but would you make that same – but, Ben, on the flip side, would you make that same argument against Kyrie if had he played the whole season? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the way that he played the last since he's been injured, had he, you know, if you would to extend the numbers since he's been back, but actually have played the full season, it's not even close. Of course, he doesn't deserve to be in. I think when his offense is is good enough and his defense is average, then it's fine. But let's be clear: Damian Lillard is one of the worst defenders of the last fifteen years. <laughs> you know, Kyrie Irving is is he doesn't try hard enough, but he's not like just inherently awful. Right. Or Isaiah Thomas tries; he's just small. You know, so I mean, it doesn't affect you know just because he tries hard yeah. shouldn't make him an all star. I try hard he's, too. You know, <laughs> but he's really good at defending inbounds plays. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I will say, I mean, you look at the guards: Kyle Lowry, John Wall, Isaiah Thomas. It, it's not; it's hard to say that those guys aren't more deserving than Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie certainly is playing behind those guys right now. Yeah, I don't think it's a question. Yeah, I, and Kyle, for- Kyle Lowry's playing out of his mind. Kyle Lowry's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that 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 Raptors team actually legitimately scares me a little. Um just because of their ability to get ridiculously hot and 
that I'm a little worried the Cavs might not have a counter for Kyle Lowry. I mean, you can always put Shumpert on him, but then and, and then you got LeBron, then LeBron you put on DeRozan, you know, in crunch time, and, and you can probably shut them down. But but they worry me. Uh, they don't have that four that stretch four though. I mean that that's the one guy. Well, they like if they Demar- traded. Yeah, but come on. I mean, Damari Carroll is a good defensive player, and I know that that he can hit hit in spots. But uh, I don't. He's not. Look, if they traded for, I'd be worried if they traded for Ryan Anderson. That's fair. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that. I think if you put Ryan Anderson, it allows the Cavs to really go heavier minutes with Kevin Love, and the fewer minutes they can, you know, if they can make it so it's a mismatch against Love instead of an even match, then then they have something working against the Cavs. But if you can play somebody head up against Love, then that gives Cavs the advantage. Well, here's what worries me about the Raptors right now. They are tearing it up, and Damari Carroll's not playing. If they get him yep. back and he can get close to where he was last year, that that's a scary team because he allows them to go small or big because he can play the four or five or the three or four. And, you know, and then you can run, you can run Big V at the five, or you can go with these defensive lineups with Bismack Biombo at the five. Bismack, um, love him. Oh, my gosh. I actually think that team would be, the smartest thing that team could do would be to trade Jonas Valanciunas for a guy that you could put alongside Bismack Biombo, and I think that team would be, much scarier. I'd... Yeah, it's no surprise that they when they run Biombo and Patrick Patterson, they're killing people. Oh yeah, I mean, pa- Patterson is a legitimate stretch four when they actually give him. Yeah, minutes. that not guy, the greatest defender, and not a guy you can play the entire game. But when you put yeah. him next to a guy who just erases mistakes like Bismack Biombo, it's devastating. And if you've yeah. got a guy that was even better than Patrick Patterson, it would be really you know a guy like Ryan Anderson. Um, it would be really dangerous. Uh, Ryan Anderson might be too weak of a defender, though, uh, you know, to put in that category. So, yeah, I mean, they're a scary team, and I feel like if they could make one move uh, at the trade deadline, they might be a really scary. I actually, if I were them, I'd be looking to see if a team might take a flyer on Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah. I, although I don't – I think he makes too much money this season for any team to, to – make that move yeah i don't know i think they've been lucky with the schedule too i don't think they've been playing they haven't been exactly been playing a ton of of world beaters lately either i mean they no. beat the they beat the clippers but most yeah, of the other been teams playing are... the dregs of the eastern conference although new york is no longer a slouch which is which is fun uh, the christoph porzingis experience is has been a fun ride so far uh, they killed the, the i love Porzingis, but I mean, back to the Raptors for a second. I mean, they killed the Clippers. They they killed the Heat. I mean, it's not those aren't bad teams to be annihilating. Yeah, but the Heat. I think the Heat were without um, without uh, Dragic that night. And oh, and uh, that's been a huge loss this season. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying. Look, the Heat. Look, the Heat are the Heat are. I think hot and cold this year. I don't think they're exactly. They're not. They're not Whiteside too. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the Clippers without Whiteside. No, the they're beating they're beating Aiken. the teams they're supposed to beat, yeah. but they are not uh 
It's not, it's not like they've knocked off. They they didn't just knock off the the Spurs or the Warriors or yeah. OKC something like that. Anyway, I mean, the best game of the season might have been taking Golden State to a three point loss. You know. Yeah, yeah, but I they're mean, they, they, they played the last State, to the Cavs by twenty two. Yeah, yeah. I guess the thing that I'm not worried about. And am worried about the same time as their backcourt. So I think DeMar DeRozan is a great regular season backcourt threat. He's getting to the line more this year than he's ever gotten. And he's, he's played a lot better in the pick and roll game. Uh, whereas before he never played any pick and roll game. Uh, but I don't really trust him in the playoffs to continually get to the line in the same way. We've seen lots of times when people get to the line, even like James Harden, when, you know, that, that kind of style sometimes doesn't pay off in the playoffs. But on the flip side, I'm terrified of Kyle Lowry all the time. That guy, that guy is absolutely without question. One of the top point guards or players in the NBA and has been for a long time. And as long as he's, he's hitting his shot. I mean, he was always one of those weird guys who would put awful shooting numbers up. You look at his shooting percentages and be like, wait, why is he so good in every advanced stat? Only now his shooting percentages are pretty damn good, too. So it's a it's a that guy's a, a total beast. I mean, he's probably the best all around point guard in the East, wouldn't you say? Yes. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he probably number three behind Chris Paul and Steph Curry right now. I think he's better than Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul's so underrated, though. Of like, like he's become one of those guys that was overrated for a long time. Now I feel like he's underrated uh, because he just does so many little things well. Uh, although, let me preface that by saying Mike Conley is possibly the most underrated player in the NBA <laughs> in the last ten years. So yeah. I mean, the guy's never made an All Star game, and it, he's only made the playoffs like what the last six years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, I just, I just love Lowry. I think. He he has an ability to constantly move the ball and himself just constantly. That is different than Chris Paul, who has his pet places where he wants to get to on the floor. Right. He gets to his elbows. That's where he does his damage in the mid-range, or he does his, his occasional three when he uncorks the three. He's, you know, obviously Paul's a great defender, but Lowry is as good of a defender, if not better. And he, re- yeah. he can just wreak havoc defensively. Like he's, he's a yeah. pit bull. One on of those defense. guys that he's... just instinctively knows where to attack when the offense isn't ready for him to blitz them. Yeah. And just totally, totally can take an offense out of his rhythm. It, it, he's, he's one of the best in the league at that. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a top 10 player without question. Yeah. Yeah, and and playing better than than Kyrie right now. Any other? Uh, uh, so the, the Cavs, you, you guys are okay with the number two guy for the Cavs would be Kevin Love, I would say. And if there's an injury replacement, do you think he's the guy that gets the nod with the way he's playing right now? Yeah, I, but I guess with, that's sorry, good. No, I was gonna say I was gonna say with with Lou coaching it too, I would imagine he'd probably have you <laughs> yeah, know have true. some say, which is has to be one of the oddest things in. Well, it's, it's never happened in NBA history that the coach of the All-Star game was fired before the All-Star game. That's it really makes me wish that, that Kerr hadn't done it last year so that it could be literally two coaches that have that have, will have each coached about eight games yeah. this year <laughs> going against each other. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think Steve Kerr needs the time off anyway. Uh, I was really happy to see him back. I mean, talk about a guy that, 
by all accounts, did not deserve the kind of the horrible break he got with that uh, the back surgery. I'm I'm really glad to see him back. Yeah. Um, and it, it, were there any snubs you saw? Any big snubs in the East? I mean, we can talk about the West in a minute, but. Not in the East, I don't see any snubs. I mean, those guys, the guys who've made it, I think all basically deserve to make it. I think the only argument, I, if you really wanted to push it, by the time the All-Star game comes and Love, if he continues his streak, the voting will have been finished before it all you know, it'll look strange that he's not in the game because his numbers will have the uptick if it continues like it is right, right now. Right. Over over Bosch, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, uh, I, I would Bosch has not had a great one. season. Bosch has struggled offensively. He's still a better defensive player for the most part. But, you know, like a lot of people have talked about, you know, there are things that Love does defensively that are overtly awful and then things that are subtly good. And yeah, Bosch, and, Bosch is still shooting almost forty eight percent though, and he's averaging almost twenty points. I mean, it's not like he's he's maybe maybe not as good as as some years, but he's certainly he's I I'd still say he's the best player on the Heat right now. But I, w- hard. I would say I would agree with that, but the Heat are also are not that good. Yeah, yeah I would agree with Dwayne, that too. Dwayne Wade <laughs> is such a gamer though too. I well, yeah, I mean, especially when his kid you know sends him a text before game time and gets him fired up. <laughs> Dirtiest player of all time, Dwayne Wade. Uh, he's <laughs> dirtiest player of the 21st century. I'll give you that. <laughs> all right, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, John Stockton might be the dirtiest player I ever saw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least the dirtiest guard. Um, so the West, uh, we're all a little – I'm apoplectic that uh, Kobe Bryant is starting. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody yeah. said the. Somebody said the. I heard. I heard uh, had proposed something where like if make make the make the fan voting after the the guys have been picked. Like have the have the 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 coaches and and players pick the guys that the guys that should go, and then have the fans vote on the starters after the if they, you know flipping it that way would be would be more fair in terms of you know not having this. You know, ridiculous situations like the one that happened with Kobe happened. Well, I don't hate the Kobe thing. I mean, the guy has been one of the most popular players in the NBA for his entire career. You know, if he wants to go out and all star, that that's fine with me. I mean, the all star game is an exhibition anyway. Uh, it's like the year Yao, Yao Ming started. Didn't Yao Ming start as a rookie? Because Yao of the Ming Chinese- was, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's right. Chinese fans voted him in. I mean, what it, it, the fans get to see what they want. It's a fans game anyway. Uh, and that's the, fair. That's the that's rest good. of the West is so dang packed. I mean, that starting lineup is Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, and then um, Kobe Bryant. <laughs> One of these <laughs> things is not like the other. <laughs> that is just brutal. <laughs> I mean, by all accounts, the other like, player on that. <laughs> okay, okay, that was pretty Like, funny. I even had to drop Kobe from my fantasy team. That's how bad it's got. <laughs> I mean, and Draymond Green, by all accounts, should Do be... you not get points for shot attempts? Should be... <laughs> no, I get points taken away. That's <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? I mean, Draymond Green, by all accounts, should be starting. I mean, I, I actually think he is the oh, third best player. I just threw up on my mouth year. a little bit there, Nate. Well, I know you don't like him, but... I think he's the third best player in the league this year, behind uh, gross. 
Gross. <laughs> behind Kawhi Leonard and Steph Curry. Uh, although LeBron James might be climbing back up now after after not a great first half of the season. But, I mean, Draymond Green's playing out of his mind on both ends of the court. So, yeah. And the, actually, the one on the West that I kind of hate is James Harden, who, yeah. you know, his, his team is playing like total garbage, but, you know, he's averaging 28 points a game. So I, he, I guess he gets the nod. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just hard, Harden's hard in general. Yeah, I, I, the the longer he plays in the league, the less I enjoy the James Harden experience. Um, yeah, actually, fun. so I, you know, so looking forward to the All Star game. Actually, looking forward to the rookie game a little bit. Uh, I really think that there's some phenomenal rookies this year. Uh, oh yeah. And, and I had a question for you, Ben. Uh, if you could take one guy now, and I think I know your answer, Carl Anthony <laughs> Towns or Christoph Porzingis, which guy would you take? Taking Porzingis. So, uh, yeah, and will you guys both, would you both agree that if they redrafted right now, those would be the top two guys? Yeah. For sure. For yeah. sure. Uh, I think I, I, I was, I, I didn't see the, the light on Porzingis like you did, you guys did early, and and I will stand corrected that uh, he's a pretty exciting guy to watch. Yeah, I, I, there's very few players of his size I've seen that can move and do the things that he can do, move like he can and do the things he can do on the court. I can't believe he hits threes the way he does. I mean, that's oh, just yeah. unbelievable. He's, he's that's yeah, got no conscience. He is like Durant said, he's a unicorn to come and make all of those follow-up dunks that he makes with that kind of athleticism yeah. and that length and have the touch in the mid-post area, which he doesn't get to see very often because of that's kind of Carmelo's land. <laughs> but when he does get there, he's got a that's beautiful... A, that sounds like a, a, a Carmelo's land. <laughs> yeah. So the or, unicorn cannot see the mid-post in, in yeah. Carmelo, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but his, <laughs> his three-point release and his touch, I mean, the guy is amazing. I love... I love what Cat's doing in Minnesota. I think he's an absolutely fantastic player and will be very, very good. Uh, but Porzingis is, I think, if he stays healthy, a future Hall of Famer. Oh, I think and, he's a once-in-a-generation player. Yeah, I mean, he is He is far more... He's a mix of Anthony Davis and Dirk. And if he can get to that. the same... If he can get to the same kind of shooting style and obsession with his shot that Dirk has... Uh, and but he can be a much his... better defender than Dirk ever was, just because of his length. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and also and his his, his bounce, his bounce. His I mean, Dirk bounce, was exactly. Yeah, Dirk Does he have like not... an eight foot wingspan or something like that. Almost. I think yeah. it, I think it's seventeen feet actually. The exactly, <laughs> but the uh, I don't know. I know his vertical is at least seven feet, but it's um his his ability to close in the pick and roll, both weak side and as a as a primary pick and roll defender, was one of the things that when I did the. Uh, the Euro prospect thing is like one of my first pieces for, for the blog. It was when he was still a total puppy and he just got his, he was just pushed around all over the place. So I didn't see him, you know, getting drafted that year and being immediately uh, suitable. And I think one of the things I said was something along the lines of, we'll see where he's at when he goes through puberty. Um, and after that, I mean, he, he really filled out in his lower body and his, his pick and roll game and pick and pop game and his defense of that. I mean, it's just insane. And his release point is so high 
that I think it's a little bit higher than Cat, even though Cat's got that weird behind-his-back release that makes it almost impossible to block his shot, too. No, I don't know if I've seen a more unblockable shot since Yao. You know, Yao had that shot that no one could block because he, yeah. Yeah, that's, that release point was high, plus he was 7-5. But, yeah. It, yeah, I don't know if I've seen, especially at that three-point line, I mean, what the hell do you do out there? Yeah. One of, one of my favorite things, I think, I can't remember who it was against. It was, some, it was one of the games this week that the first bucket that Porzingis scored, he caught the ball on, on the right wing, went across the lane, a hard dribble with his left hand, a running left-handed hook shot. Yeah, that was the game against, um, oh, who were they playing? The Thunder. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it was just, I was like, okay, he's doing another yeah, and thing. And that was like his only like, shot attempt of the second half. Like he, I mean, no, no, no. The, it, I thought it was like the first bucket that, that was. Oh, okay. Was, well, he he had one of those in the second half, too. Okay, and, all right. And he hadn't touched the ball in like a half hour. And it was like, yeah, whoa, I mean, why don't they get that guy the ball more? I, I think Zach Lowe recently put put up something that like, oh, and that piece about Blake Griffin that maybe we can get to. Putting Blake Griffin next to Porzingis would be really fun to watch and terrifying for Cavs fans if they surrounded those guys with the right people. Right, because are you saying because Blake is such a great passer? Because their skill set, basically, Blake needs somebody who can stretch the floor next to him, but also somebody who can protect the rim. And as Lowe points out, and as any basketball fan knows, those people don't really exist very frequently. Being able to shoot three-point range and also be a legitimate rim protector. Uh, and, you know, guys like Abaka or, you know, Manute Bull. I want Manute Bull to come back. Rest in peace, buddy. Uh, that kind well, it's of... Just, it's just Porzingis and Davis, really, are the, the two, like, premier guys, right? Well, yeah, and also Davis should get himself... And, and Abaka. You know, Ben yeah. pointed out Abaka has that ability somewhat. Yeah. Although I mean, it feels it's... like Abaka hasn't been quite the rim protector this year that he has been in the past. Like, I feel like when I watch... Thunder games. It's, I'm watching him try more things offensively than defensively, but well, it's hard, it's it's hard to experience too. He's playing with Dion Waiters and Enos Cantor, so <laughs> yeah. it's he's got a lot more work to do. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, that is just a horribly constructed team. <laughs> I don't understand what they're doing there. Uh, although I have seen Dion Waiters have some nice games, um, especially. <laughs> did, did you watch all that Knicks Thunder game? That was the most painful end of a game <laughs> where they just kept trying to post up Aaron Aflalo ad nauseum. Oh, and it was just like, oh, why so do you brutal. keep doing that? It was like, he was like two for eight in the, the last, well, like, like, well, and, and he had Porzingis open a number of times and he just, he had just tunnel vision to the hoop. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's sorry, an example ahead. of how, when you're growing up and the, whoever the dominant, player of the NBA is the little kids, you know, emulate those players. And Aflalo clearly grew up in Jordan's era and just practiced that post turn run move and all the stuff that Jordan does. Only he can't do it nearly to the level, obviously. <laughs> Whereas like yeah, little kids nowadays would be the way Kobe did. Yeah, well, at least to Aflalo's credit, he does it at, you know, 12 to 17 feet instead of Kobe's 17 to 45 feet. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. wrong, no, that, wrong that era. Was, buddy. That was a really good point about uh, Blake Griffin. Um, it, so we, you talked about hoping we get to him. Do you, do you think the Clips are going to trade him? 
And maybe uh, Evil Genius is the guy to ask this because I know he is closer to that situation. Well, I mean, there's what, been what are you hearing out there? Like, what's the there's vibe? a lot of smoke right now that that and a lot of rumblings about them. You know, really, really being more than anything, it's Doc is really upset with with Blake and and how that's how it's all kind of unfolded. Um, you know, again, uh, obviously this, this, with the injuries or whatever, but with this this whole this whole incident with the you know the the, the uh, altercation with uh, with the, the, the trainer on the team or whatever, and yeah, I, there's been a lot of a lot of talk and speculation. Um, of course, of course, being in LA, there's a lot of crosstown talk and speculation too, where it's like, hey, just you know, let's flip them to the Lakers, and you know, we'll, we'll <laughs> dump off some of our young talent on you. But um, I don't know. I could see. Here's the the short answer is they should, and because you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna sell sell high, you know, I mean, I mean at least at least what they could potentially get for Blake, and and as they're looking at. I mean, they've they they don't they've got a pretty large tax bill. It seems like coming too with with all of the vets that they have. Um, they're going to have to make some tough decisions if they they think this team, as constructed, can be anything other than the fourth best team in the West, which is you know probably not where where they want to be. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, there's definitely been a lot of conversation about it out here, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked at all if it happened. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's a tough situation. He beat the snot out of a what was it, an equipment manager that was literally yeah. ha- literally half his size. Like you see the pictures of them standing next to each other, and it's like it's almost like he beat up a little kid. <laughs> like, this guy just never had a chance against Blake Griffin, and and plus it was at a you know other team members were there. It was. It had to be just a ridiculously ugly situation. It was a really bad look because he chased him outside too, and then attacked him again. It's just yeah. stupid. He's just well, stupid. I mean, and not only that, God. it's just—I mean, he's lucky he's not facing felony charges. I mean, if it had been, if it had not been in the NBA, where this equipment manager is probably getting a lot of money not to press charges, who's uh, also supposed to be his really good buddy. Right, I mean, apparently, exactly. they're good friends. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, who does that? <laughs> so, I mean, I got I almost wonder, you know, was he just plastered? You know, there's the question the it it asks a lot of questions and doesn't answer many. And, Maybe there's a Delonte West kind of story involved that we don't know about. Yeah, well they do have, you know, they they do they both seem like uh gingers. So you know <laughs> maybe maybe that's so lady some, likes maybe their blood runs ginger. hot. Oh, man. Well, I all I know I'm is he just, hit the. I, I I can only get myself in trouble here. All I know is he hit the dude hard enough to break his own hand. So yeah. that's yeah. Well, the, the guy has been having trouble sleeping and headaches all the time. And you know, normally yeah. you think, oh, well, he's just cruising for a lawsuit. But if if, if Blake Griffin broke his hand, I I don't doubt that's true. God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just who does that? <laughs> and, and in some ways, it makes you go like, okay. You know, all this drama with the Cavs is, is really we're making mountains out of molehills. There's there's other teams that have a lot more drama that's like real problems. Yeah. 
But none of those other teams really are truly competing for a championship. I mean, the Clippers were never competing for a championship. I don't care what some people wanted to convince themselves. Well, I think they, they think they think they are, but they're not. I yeah, think they I could, mean, but they just they're a team that always does stupid things in the game. Uh, you know, they they are a team that always seems to find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. As long as Doc Rivers is the GM of that team as well as the coach, they won't yeah. win a championship. <laughs> oh come well, on! Also, you, you don't like the Austin Rivers? I <laughs> you don't cheer every time Austin is great. Nepotism is great. I cheer uh, every time he comes into the game, but of course that's because the Cavs are playing. So. <laughs> I think his coaching has always been completely overrated as well, but uh, that that's neither here nor there. I think that in the same vein that I prefer Kyle Lowry to Chris Paul. Chris Paul is a great player, but I don't think he is the type of player that you know, he he might be the David Blatt of point guards. The guys just don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> David Blatt of point guards. That's that's brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, no, and and I've always said that the Clippers always needed a closer. Like they never had a guy to take final shots because Chris Paul just isn't tall enough, and he isn't yeah. quite shifty enough, like the way Kyrie is. Um, yeah. And they finally got that guy, but the wheels have fallen off Paul Pierce. Yeah, five so, years too late. They got that guy. What? In the two years too late. Yeah. Well, one year he was even good last year yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. All in game. Yeah, exactly. Which but, maybe he is again in these playoffs. I don't know. I think as far as trading Griffin, though, you can't trade that guy. I think he is is too he's too good considering the other guys that don't fit necessarily around him. He's too good of a passer. He has developed so well on his his deep twos that, like uh, like Lowe pointed out in his piece, I keep just quoting Zach Lowe, but like the that's what he get he gets for you know making good articles, but. The uh, you just step out a little bit, and then maybe he's a three point threat in the same vein that Draymond Green is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you run the offense through him in a way that instead of having Paul just ball hog and just because he moves the ball occasionally, that we don't call it ball hogging because he's the point guard, a traditional point guard right. ball hog. I mean, <laughs> it's just not, I don't think it's a great talk about micromanaging. I just don't think it's a great look for that team and right. Paul does not help even if they can win a lot of games i think their their ceiling is a lot bigger with griffin without paul and without deandre jordan so if i'm them i make an effort to trade first deandre jordan even after all the stuff that they did in the summer which of course is never going to happen never um, going to happen no. but that's that's the play that mixture of players green uh, jordan and and griffin is the problem i mean and and unless Griffin starts hitting those threes and really figures it figuring it out, I don't see a, a real solution with that. And I don't think you can get enough back for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, the only yeah, I don't know what you could get back for him. I mean, maybe he goes to Miami for Chris Bosh, but I don't ever see Pat My- Riley kind of you know stabbing one of his inner circle in the back to do that. Um, he actually, I think he would be an interesting fit on uh, Toronto, but Toronto doesn't have the assets to get him. I mean, it's like any team with the assets to get him, he isn't going to want to play for long-term. And isn't he a free agent after next season? After next season. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a tough sell no matter what you do. Uh, I, I actually think uh, Dallas would be a a really good fit for him. Uh, He'd actually look good next to, uh, 
Jaja Pachulia just because they're both such great passers. Uh, and and how great of a season is Jaja having? I I love the he's almost almost an all star. Yeah, he's a I smart love the player. Resurgence. And he's a smart player. He's like any good smart player who's finally on a team with other players who know how to play. It's sort of yeah. the Boris Dio corollary. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely. Mean, and and Milwaukee just looks so much worse without him, and of course without uh, Brandon Knight. But you know. <laughs> Yeah, all, a point of, all of you talk about a guy who's a great coach and a terrible GM. Jason Kidd has just made some just really lousy moves. As a mm-hmm. as a he he seems to have a team of all athletes and no glue guys. You know, yeah. in, in in a league where you need glue guys. Yeah, but also well, the when you have to rely on guys like OJ Mayo to be to be glue guys, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, Greg saying? Monroe was just an awful decision. Yeah. Like one of those guys just destined to get overpaid. I mean, he's just he's too much. He's too much of a minus defensively. Even if the numbers don't necessarily support it, it changes your entire way of constructing your roster during right. your lineup. And the rest of that roster doesn't make any sense with him. Like, yeah. no. why do you get a guy that you have a team of all athletes who want to run? Do so you get a but can't shoot? So you get a post up guy. It's yeah. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, a post-up guy that you have, and you have nobody to get him the ball in the post. Right, right, and then of course, you know, their best shooter is Chris Middleton, who you know has been really, really not living up to the contract he signed. So, all right, does Middleton and Greek Freak work contractually for Blake Griffin? Well, that's interesting. Wow, that'd be an interesting move. Because I think both teams would think about that. I, I think both teams would think about that. Oh, I know. Jason Kidd would think about that because he is very, he seems very starstruck. <laughs> so I gotta, I gotta type that into the trade machine. So while I'm, while I'm looking that up, I want to hear any other trade ideas you guys think are going to happen in the NBA. Oh geez, EG. <laughs> <laughs> that caught me off guard. Um, oh come on, you know this is my man, favorite time of year when I can play mad scientist with the trade machine. Come on. No, give me some ideas. No, I know. Um, this is riveting listening. Like, yeah, like no, trade, I've got no trade deadline day. Like, I need to just start. It's like, so I have a new funny because I can't do this this year. But like the last you know, couple it's... years have just been like, don't even count on me getting any work done on trade deadline day <laughs> because I'm just sitting there with the trade machine plugging in trades all day long. And it's like I'll be. Sorry, I was, yeah, I'll be I'll, I'll be honest. I like because I for for the whole year I, I've really felt like the Cavs are not going to make any any big moves, and even even with the recent you know uh, smoke screen that. Okay, that, well, answer this question well, then. Do the yeah. Cavs need to make a move? Do you do you see him having another move in him? Uh, ah, does Mozgov get moved? Uh, what about the guy think. for J, RJ? I think they. I think the best they do is maybe just pick up pick up a vet at the. You know, after the, you know, after the the deadline when you know when guys are are getting waived and free to sign with teams, I I know RJ's got the toe issue, but I think they'll I think they'll they'll he'll work through it and you know I I, I just don't see a ton of guys out there that are gettable that that could be that could really be really help them in the in the you know in the nine to ten man rotation that it looks like uh, Lou's going to run. Yeah, I don't. Do I don't see it either. I don't see it either. I think if there's some, there's a small chance, depending on what happens with the Rockets, that Trevor Ariza becomes available. 
And that gets really interesting around the league, whether it's the Clippers or whether it's it's Cleveland in some kind of strange thing. But I think that's so far-fetched that it's not really worth exploring so much. But yeah, right, and I, the other thing is, is the West is just bad enough that the Rockets are you know hovering around the playoffs still. And yeah. That's oh, yeah, they're, they're still like the seventh seed. Right, and that move's not going to happen with them as a playoff team because they don't even know, do they even have a pick this year? They, I, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. And of course, the trade deadline is not, is not working, or the trade machine is not working. So, uh, I know there's basically, a... basically, unless you need, unless you want a Laker or a Sun, I, I don't think there's a lot of guys getting moved out of the West, right? Uh, yeah. the, the Kings are shopping Rudy Gay, apparently. But who wants Rudy Gay? Yeah. Who wants Rudy Gay? <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, I, I mean, Rudy Gay be slightly better than Joe Johnson if the Cavs really wanted that kind of guy. But only slightly, and I think his contract's a lot worse. Uh, I, I, could I, see, <laughs> I could see Rudy Gay on Boston, but I don't think Boston gives up a ton to get him because I think they really like Jay Crowder and they pretty much play the same yeah. position. And and plus, like Boston needs another guy that plays power forward. You know, is Rudy Gay is not good. Team of forwards. Oh my god! <laughs> so. Uh, so I listened to the Simmons uh, Charles Barkley podcast last week, which was fantastic. And oh, I meant to hear that. Yeah, I Simmons heard was talking about how the crunch time lineup was uh, 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 Isaiah Thomas, Marcus Smart, uh, Avery Bradley, Jared Sillinger, and Jay Crowder, <laughs> and Jeez. that they're not doing well in crunch time. <laughs> and and, uh, and Charles Barkley was like, "Yeah, that lineup going to get crunched." <laughs> 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 it's like that team has oh, got a lot of really talented players, but they're just re- constructed so ridiculously. Like, <laughs> I feel like it's the it's the money ball of the team has, you know, 10 shortstops that get 100 walks a season. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that, that team just doesn't make any sense. But they have so many assets. If they could figure out a way to get a big man, it, it, it would it would help them out. They, well, they, they also, a, so haven't they won four or five in a row right now? Yeah, too? Well, they need <laughs> I mean, a big man and they need a wing with sizing and shoot, you know, and actually Kevin Martin would be a nice target for them. Uh, Cause they need a shooter, but Kevin Martin doesn't really fit with their defensive ethos either. So could they make a trade with the Sixers for Nerlens and Covington? I don't know what the six. I don't think the Sixers want to give up on Nerlens at all, but it kind of seems like they should. He doesn't. He's not really. He doesn't really fit on that team. And my worry about Nerlens Noel is I'm not sure he has a fit in the NBA. Like, there's hardly any teams that want shot blocking power forwards that can't shoot. Yeah, I mean, and he really didn't put on any weight too. I mean, just felt like he still feels like he's. There, like there's a reason John Henson didn't break the bank in, as a free agent. You know, yeah, yeah, they, they're yeah, kind of the same player. That's a good point, yeah. Uh, it's just because he doesn't have the size to be a traditional center. He doesn't have the passing skills or the um, the jump shooting skills. You know, it just feels like he's a year, a couple years away still. Well, let's, I mean, let's be honest. The difference between Noel and Clint Capella is basically nil. Well, and, and, and actually, Clint I mean, Capella right now, actually has a little yeah. more size. Yeah. 
I mean, so, I mean, that's a, uh, he's longer at least. I mean, they have, he's got a little yeah. bit more. Well, he, he um, seems like he has a little more meat on his bones. Just, and yeah. that's not saying a lot. That's saying how thin Nerland Snowell is. Yeah. yeah. I was reading something interesting today. I forget where it was, but saying that, that if the bulls were probably going to shop, uh, Joachim Noah, had he not gotten injured, well, yeah, just with all their with all their front court stuff, yeah, he'll. I he, I think he'll end up wherever Thibodeau ends up. He'll end up. Oh, that's a good thought. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, and Minnesota, I possibly uh, take over Garnett's place as an old guy who knows how to play defense. That actually would really scare me because Minnesota has a lot of young talent. No, uh, you know. Uh, Pay, uh, Payne, is that their point guard? Or Peyton? No, Payne. Adrian Payne. Who are you talking about? Adrian, Adrian Payne. Payne. For, uh, oh. That guy has all the talent in the world, and he's only mm. like 20 years old. And I always like, what a knucklehead. And then I remember, oh, yeah, he's only 20 years old. He still <laughs> has like three or four years to figure it out, and he is a ridiculous athlete, and his jump shot looks pretty solid. And plus they got Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. I, I, I would just love them. to see Cat and Wiggins with a defensive coach, like a real yeah, defensive exactly, coach. Exactly, exactly. I could see them. I I would be shocked if they weren't just shopping Pekovich or um, well, Kevin Martin for sure, and Kevin Martin for sure. But Pekovich also because he doesn't really fit that team either. Uh, yeah, so, that's a good point. Uh, if it, but I'm not sure in the small ball NBA if there's that many teams that want a big lumbering center that isn't a great shot blocker. So it it remains to be seen. But this this podcast getting a little uh, long in the tooth, so we should probably start to wrap it up. Ben, anything you want to plug? Any uh any exciting uh European stories to tell? Uh I don't think any suitable podcast stories. So Oh, those are the best kinds. <laughs> go go Europe. Uh, I guess that's uh, that's about the extent I can elaborate. <laughs> okay. Uh <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Uh, ben, ben is in the midst of you know a lot of European turmoil right now, so uh, you know I, I will. Uh, I, let's hope that uh, peace on earth and goodwill towards men uh, wins out. So, uh, what about you, yeah. uh, Eg? Um, I've been trying like crazy to put this little uh, this little independent movie together, and it and it's starting to starting to to actually get some traction so i'm kind of i'm kind of excited about that but oh, uh i'm excited for yeah it. I hope, hope, hope we get some more details in the future uh yeah yeah i don't want to jinx it just yet but what'd you is say that, yeah, exactly. is, is it a movie about the blog <laughs> no but here's the craziest thing so i've got a guy that that i've known for a long time who's been in writing a a, a script with another colleague of mine and he was telling me the other day that he was contracted a couple of years ago by this this these producers out of Australia who wanted who were trying to make the the Matthew Della Vadova story and oh. and I think there was there was some there was a there was a press release that came out about it last year and then I you know kind of forgot about it and then I, I saw him the other day and I I'd offer I think when the article had come out, I'd offered, I said, Hey, look, I, you know, I, I also write for Cavs, a blog and I, I'd love to, you know, at some point, like do like a, a story about, you know, you guys and the making of the, the Matthew Della Vadova movie. And he came, he came in the other day and was saying that, um, 
you know, these guys now, especially with, you know, just with how great, you know, how great Delhi did in the finals and, and how now this year he's really, you know, he's really become such a great shooter and, you know, with the, you know, with, with really improving his game, like there's a lot more interest in the story and they're getting a lot of traction with it. And he's like, it's, he's, it's unbelievable. It's like taking on a life of its own. So hopefully in the, you know, in the very near future, there will be a, a, a movie about the life of Matthew Della maybe something in the, in the, along the lines of, of, you know, Rudy or classic like that uh, coming to a theater near you. So can I pitch the wombat rises as, as a title? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Absolutely, nice. I'll, I'll make sure that they they can at least consider that <laughs> that title. Uh, good stuff. You know, as for myself, I'm still uh, recovering from the fe- effects of uh, Nashville hot chicken. So uh, you know, <laughs> keep, keep me in your thoughts and prayers. And uh, uh, not too much else going on right now. Uh, just you know, kind of full on Cavs mode right now. So we're we're getting ready for uh, the dog days in the NBA going into. Uh, the playoff run uh, going into the playoffs. So, so pretty exciting stuff. And uh, as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Bonus coverage for, for Cavs, the blog uh, podcast. I was, uh, we realized we forgot to talk about uh, what we should dub the big three. Uh, I like the three Musculeers, but <laughs> that seemed to get no traction. <laughs> uh and what was the other one I had? Uh, the the thrill kill with uh, and kill stands for Kyrie Love and LeBron. Uh, that, that didn't get any traction either. I got. Uh, I got. How about Delhi's friends? Delhi's friends. <laughs> I I. I <laughs> how about Delhi and friends? I, I like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I put on the I put on the blog today. Um, you know, I, I started. I, you know, I I threw up a bunch of there just because it's always fun to come up with names, but then. You know, I, I liked I liked Cerberus because it was sort of the three headed yeah. you know creature kind of a thing. But, um, but I like then, the Kingstown trio. Yeah, yeah, the King, the Kingstown trio after the the play on the the Kingston trio. But then yeah. I, I you know, the the one that I I put out there last the uh, was it the um, the landlords the land yeah the the landlords but land land with like like they do with Cleveland with an apostrophe so. yeah. Yeah, that seemed to get good. seemed to get a little bit of traction on the yeah, on so, the today, uh, Ben. You got any suggestions? Oh man, I'm I'm incredibly not <laughs> three when it comes to this. yeah. I mean, the three tenors is embedded. You know, yeah. years really years ago, actually, when when the the Miami threesome or whatever got all together, I plan on doing a piece about how the three tenors all they do is trade solos because they're all singing the same rep and they don't know how to actually <laughs> sing harmony they just have to sing back and forth and like the way that they play it on the on the floor uh but fortunately the Cavs don't play so poorly as that but nor you know are they really as good as the actual three tenors maybe as good as Carrera. here's a little more bonus coverage we're talking about the hawks new uniforms and the preponderance of grabbing jerseys in the NBA right now. Okay, if they were like like the skin tight jerseys, you know, they should oil them up like the football guys do to avoid holding, like the def- the defensive linemen. I, I've always clean. said, especially against the Warriors, yeah. that they should uh, they should do that. So it's not just the Warriors anymore, though, man. Everybody seems to grab these days. Like even it's like ridiculous. 
that the 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 first game against the Spurs, not this most recent one, but the the one the one in San Antonio, I felt like Tony Parker was grabbing Kyrie's jersey at every turn. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was. These um, jerseys are amazing. What are you talking about? I can't stand it. <laughs> that, that's the only advantage of the skin tight t shirt jerseys is that they're they're much harder to grab, you know, without giving someone a purple nurple. That's true. <laughs> anyway. At least they don't have the neon green like as a primary color. Like I'm, I just turned the game on. Like it's those yeah. are pretty awful. But if the neon oh, green the, were, they're, primary... they're like the World League of American Football jerseys. They're just the you and the that? and the gray shorts. Like what? Like who came up with that? Yeah, I, I don't know. It it <laughs> it's like somebody was just messing around with a color palette in Photoshop. Like hey, we're gonna throw on our summer league jerseys. <laughs> like, yeah, we got a deal on green neon. <laughs> <laughs> okay well uh, as always danny okay. ferry was still in charge that wouldn't have happened <laughs> Ouch. Uh. thank you for listening to Cavs the blogs podcast check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger We're out.